MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, November 23rd, 2021. Today, the January 6th committee has subpoenaed Roger Stone and Alex Jones. Leaked text messages show rally organizers were communicating directly with the White House ahead of the attack on the Capitol. A man is charged with five counts of intentional homicide after driving into a Christmas parade in Wisconsin. Two Fox News contributors quit over objections to Tucker Carlson's January 6th special. Crew is suing the Department of Justice for Trump communications with Barr on overturning the election. And we have more details in the New York investigation into the Trump organization. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello, Dana. <laughs> hey, AG. <laughs> for those of you listening, like, what is so funny? We're talking about the news. AG popped on a Zoom and I had a filter on, which made her laugh very funny. Made her laugh very funny, made her laugh very hard. And then we played with the filters for a while. And right now she's a unicorn and I'm a bear. And we're going to do the news this way. Yep. So that's if you, all you, the you, shitty stuff. This is the way we're actually <laughs> going to keep our sanity for the next month. Yeah. And before I was like a sprout and you had something else going on, you, I'll put a picture up on Twitter on uh, the at Muller She Wrote feed for you to see. Today, big news, as you can tell up top, I'll also be talking to Glenn Kirshner, host of Justice Matters. We're going to discuss the D.C. U.S. attorney, brand new, who just got there, and the new U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York, and an update on some of the insurrection cases. And um, we have breaking news that came out just as the script was being finalized. So in case you didn't know, the January 6th committee has subpoenaed five new Trump associates, Roger Stone and Alex Jones, and then Taylor Budowich, Dustin Stockton, and Jennifer Lawrence. Dustin Stockton is the person who I think is the one leaking everything to the to Rolling Stone magazine, including the text messages that we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show. He was hanging out a lot and texting with Kylie Kramer, who is Amy Kramer's daughter. And uh, these are all part of Stop the Steel rally organizers and some of the Ellipse rally organizers as well. So that's what's happening in the news. We'll get into that deeper tomorrow on the show. But, you know, I mean, as for now, that's pretty much the news is that the, they've been subpoenaed. We do not know yet if they're going to hold Meadows or a Clark in criminal contempt, as they did with Bannon. As we know, Bannon's been indicted by the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office. And they're still in meetings to discuss what to do with Meadows and Clark. So we'll see what they do with them. And then that will probably dictate what happens with the rest of these subpoenas. Although I imagine, and I'm going to put some beans on this, that they have decided to hold Meadows in criminal contempt. They just haven't announced it yet. And that's why they're feeling good about announcing these subpoenas for Roger Stone and Alex Jones. I would imagine you're right. And I think these are going to keep, they're starting, they're setting precedent. I mean, the bottom line is Bannon's case is precedent and this is going to start rolling in. And if you don't show up, you don't turn over the receipts that we asked for, you're going to get arrested. Yeah. And so they probably maybe met with the Justice Department uh, lawyers, some of the lawyers for the House and said, hey, if we put Meadows in, are you going to indict him too? Or was Bannon like a one-off deal? Because Bannon doesn't have any claim to executive privilege. Meadows might have case-by-case executive privilege claims. 
and so that maybe they were waiting to see. I don't know. This is all speculation. So let's just wait and see what happens. But until then, we have other news. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. As I was talking about uh, there at the in the discussion part of the show, Rolling Stone obtained text messages that show the coordination between the January 6th attackers of the U.S. Capitol to former President Trump's White House. According to the report, rally organizer Amy Kramer was focused on food instead of what was happening down the street from the hotel she was staying at, which, by the way, is the Willard. Among other things, Kramer is the founder of Women for America First and is a longtime Tea Party activist. Kramer's text messages made it clear she was speaking with the White House for events that happened after Trump's loss in November. First, she hosted the March for Trump bus tour that would come to Washington to protest the president's loss. Quote, for those of you that weren't aware, I have jumped off the tour for the night. I'm headed to D.C. I have a meeting at the White House tomorrow afternoon, and then we'll be back tomorrow night. She wrote that in text messages to followers. Rest well. I'll make sure the president knows about the tour tomorrow. She went on to explain that she and her daughter Kylie seemed to indicate that they were in communication with the Trump team. Chris Barron, spokesperson for the Kramers, claimed all of the messages that Rolling Stone has are fake news. And yeah, whenever someone calls something fake news, it's usually real. Quote, you are printing things that are 100 percent factually untrue that we can prove are not true. You are printing things that are absolutely factually untrue and beyond being factually untrue for anyone who knows Amy are likely hilariously preposterous. When Rolling Stone asked for specifics, he refused to answer, merely repeating that they dispute the report. In another text on December 13th, 2020, Kramer told the group she was still waiting to hear from the White House on the photo op with the bus. She explained that she didn't have the permits yet, so they couldn't tweet that the event would be at the ellipse until it was confirmed. Quote, we are following POTUS's lead, she said. A text message from January 3rd between activist Dustin Stockton, who was just subpoenaed, and Kylie, Amy Kramer's daughter, made it sound as if there was a blatant coordination. She told Stockton that handling rally credentials for a VIP were being organized with a combination of us and the White House. I imagine Stockton, like I said, is the one leaking these texts. He has spoken uh, behind closed doors with January 6th committee. He's got a subpoena now. And most interestingly, in this report that I noticed, it's the leaker here, whoever the leaker is, told Rolling Stone they were speaking on the condition of anonymity to protect ongoing investigations. Plural, investigations. And since there's only one congressional probe, that leaves law enforcement. Another clue that the DOJ is, in fact, investigating the higher-ups. According to Liz Cheney, they've spoken to nearly 200 people behind closed doors. The fact that they're conducting these probes outside of the public eye is another huge clue that there are criminal investigations happening. Whether they're the inspector general or the Department of Justice, it's probably the FBI conducting the interviews. I'm still convinced that the Department of Justice is investigating, and they're probably waiting for the inspector general or congressional criminal referrals before they start going after the big dogs. We do not know if the inspector general or Congress has made any criminal referrals, but they most certainly have the text messages reported by Rolling Stone. And if they have them, I imagine the Department of Justice has them. And, and Dana, uh, you know, I said that I, I thought Stockton had already spoken to the committee, but they're, they're subpoenaing him now. There was a report a couple of days ago saying that Liz Cheney had said a lot of the people were voluntarily speaking with them, but asking for subpoenas for cover. So they might have had a, a preliminary or informal interview, and now they're providing the subpoena for legal cover. Because shit's about to get real. Even more real. This next story, I just want a little a bit of a warning. Uh, some of you have heard about this. Some of you have watched the video. I um, 
ask you, uh, Beans listeners, that when you hear the story, please do not try and Google to go find these videos. They are very, very hard to watch and quite, quite uh, painful. So please, if you can, you don't need to, you don't need to do that. But this is about the tragedy in Wisconsin. The lone suspect in Sunday's Wisconsin parade tragedy intentionally drove his maroon SUV through barricades into a crowd of people celebrating the Waukesha Christmas Parade, which resulted in killing five individuals and injuring 48. Now that's from the Waukesha Police Chief Dan Thompson. That was said on Monday. The five people killed ranged from 52 to 81 years old. And that's from Thompson. The police chief acknowledged the heroism of onlookers at the scene, saying first responders and residents worked together to triage the victims and get them as stable as possible. Authorities in Wisconsin have identified the driver of a red SUV they say drove into the Waukesha Christmas Parade as Daryl Brooks Jr. He is 39 years old. Now, Waukesha Police Chief Dan Thompson said it is believed that Brooks, 39, he acted alone. He is the lone suspect in this situation, this incident. And the other news out of this is that Brooks was actually involved in a domestic disturbance just prior to driving the SUV through the parade Sunday afternoon. News has come out that he was fleeing some sort of a knife incident, is is what the news is saying. Police want to make it clear there was no pursuit leading up to the incident. So what it it appears is that as he was fleeing, I can only assume, AG, is that he went to go down a street and was sort of, he realized that he couldn't get out. And so he, he continued to go forward through the crowd. It just took seconds for a family-friendly event to devolve into a scene of confusion and carnage. The SUV plowed into a Christmas parade in Wisconsin. As we said, how many people were injured? Several of them children. So far, there's no known connection to international or domestic terrorism. It does not appear to be connected to the recent verdict in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is just about an hour away. And the suspect has been charged with five counts of intentional homicide. It's really interesting that this specific one is saying that it was an in- intentionally went through the crowd, but that's what it appears to be from the videos. He had a choice. He could have stopped his vehicle. He chose not to. And it was, it's a horrific situation. There's a lot of families that are in mourning and that are trying to figure out the chaos of the day and that are hurting. So we keep all of them in our thoughts as the holidays approach. It makes something like this even harder than normal. I'm also trying to figure out if, if he was arrested earlier that day for domestic violence why he was let go i'm assuming those details will come out as we yeah absolutely i have a a very uh, personal experience with that so i'm very i mean i'm not any more interested to hear about it than anyone else but wondering why the cops let him go it's a big question for me and the trump organization owns an office building at 40 Wall Street in Manhattan. And in 2012, when the company was listing its assets for lenders, it said the building was worth $527 million, which would make it among the most valuable in New York. But just a few months later, they told the property tax collector that the building was worth $16.7 million. $527 million for lenders, $16.7 million for the tax man. I sense a pattern here. <laughs> That's less than one thirteenth, And that was just a year later. That property is now under scrutiny from the Manhattan District Attorney and New York Attorney General, along with several others like it, like this building, for which the Trump Organization gave vastly different value estimates. And that's according to public records and people familiar with the investigations who spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss ongoing inquiries. After the indictment of the Trump Organization's chief financial officer, Weisselberg, 
this summer for income tax fraud. Prosecutors now appear to be examining whether the company broke the law by providing low values on, to property tax officers while using high ones to garner tax breaks or impress lenders. The answer is yes. Proving it's different, though, right? But New York Attorney General Letitia James has said she's considering a lawsuit and prosecutors in the Manhattan DA's office have also convened a new grand jury, which could vote on criminal charges. And that's according to the people familiar with the probes. Among the other properties under scrutiny, the California Golf Club, which he valued the same parcel of land at $900,000 and $25 million, depending on the intended audience. nine hundred grand, $25 million. And in a state in suburban New York, for which the valuations range from $56 million to $291 million. That's the one that Maddow kept talking about. The valuations were all given within five years, in the five years before Trump won the presidency. And that makes me wonder, what ongoing crimes did he commit along these lines that we don't not yet know about? Because the statute of limitations for the old ones has probably expired. But if the scheme continues, the statute of limitations clock doesn't start ticking until the end of criming. So I imagine the DA has more recent tax returns and documents, maybe from Mazars, showing the Trump org has continued to wildly vary valuations to defraud the United States. But here's the hard part I mentioned, proving the discrepancies are criminal because they were intended to defraud the United States. Real estate appraiser said it was highly unusual for any property owner to give such widely different values for the same property during the same time period. Quote, this is way, way beyond anything that's believable, said Norm Miller, a professor of real estate finance at the University of San Diego who has appraised properties for 50 years. I've never seen anything with a gap that extreme. But extreme is not the same as illegal. Legal experts said that if prosecutors want to prove a crime, they have to do more than simply prove Trump's valuations were wrong. Is it overly optimistic? Is it an enthusiastic perception? That's Robert Masters, former top aide, the district attorney in Queens. Does that make it a lie? Masters said prosecutors would probably need to show that the figures were wrong on purpose, falsified deliberately with an intent to deceive a lender or the government. Masters said that may require a witness on the inside who could explain the decision making behind the numbers or maybe some Mazar's documents. (laughs) Remember how I said it's not the taxes. It's something else. It's communications between an accountant and an accountee. Well, we will keep you posted. Absolutely. And I would love to see those communications because whoever evaluated those, I would love to see that it was the same person. Wouldn't that be great if it was the same person that said the 17 and then the other 250 and it was just John Smith that was like, I'm going to sign off on both of these and just messages. It would be lovely. This is really interesting because this is rats, you know, fleeing a ship, but they're still rats. <laughs> Two Fox News contributors have quit over Tucker Carlson's special on January 6th. The trailer for Tucker Carlson's special about the January 6th mob at the Capitol landed online on October 27th. Now that night, Jonah Goldberg sent a text to his business partner, Stephen Hayes. He said, I'm tempted just to quit Fox over this. Hayes said, I'm game. Totally outrageous. It will lead to violence. Not sure how we can stay. And so if there's two people at Fox News saying this could lead to violence, there's a good chance it could. The full special, Patriot Purge, appeared on Fox's online subscription streaming service days later. And last week, the two men, both paid Fox News contributors, finalized their resignations from the network. Now, in some ways, their departure should not be surprising. You know, it's simply part of the new rights mopping up operation in the corners of the conservative institutions that still house pockets of resistance to the former guy's control of the Republican Party. Now, Mr. Goldberg, who is the former National Review writer, and Mr. Hayes, a former Weekly Standard writer, They were two stars of the pre-Trump conservative movement. They clearly staked out their positions in 2019 when they founded The Dispatch, and that is an online publication that described as, quote, a place that thoughtful readers can come for conservative fact-based news and commentary. 
It now has nearly 30,000 paying subscribers. So they uh, branched off from Fox, it seems, during that time and wanted to make sure that people were actually getting the truth. And apparently this uh, little documentary from Tucker Carlson has pushed them right over the Fox edge. So they are done with the network. And that's really interesting, too, when you think about how they had the, before they were like fact based news and commentary. And now they're <laughs> like, nope, <laughs> you know, that they're quitting. It'll be interesting to see how many of those 30,000 paying subscribers abandon ship because they're Trump supporters. We'll see. Yeah. And quick update here. Crew, the Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, is suing the Department of Justice following its failure to respond to Crew's FOIA request for records of conversations involving Barr, including conversations with Mark Meadows, Senator Mitch McConnell, and meetings at the Department of Justice and White House with Trump, obviously. What I'm wondering is if the Department of Justice is investigating Barr now, if Merrick Garland is investigating these conversations, and we know the IG is looking at like Clark and Eastman and stuff like that, I'm wondering whether they'll respond to the FOIA request by saying they can't hand over the communications because they're part of an ongoing investigation, which is a legit FOIA exemption. That would be a really roundabout way for us to find out that the Department of Justice is investigating the coup. Absolutely. (laughs) Anyway, we'll let you know what happens. However we get there. I don't care how we get there. I just want to fucking get there, you know? Yep. Yep. And I talk about when are we going to fucking get there right after this with Glenn Kirshner, host of Justice (laughs) Matters, because we're all like... You know, on the one hand, we have to go through this properly. We have to follow the rule of law. We have to cross T's, dot the I's, because if we lose this case, America's over. Absolutely. On the other hand, we don't have a lot of time. Yeah. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that next. Stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG, and this episode of The Beans is brought to you by Let Us Grow. Most people's first experience with growing vegetables themselves never gets past the first step, planting the seeds. Because of this, most people just revert back to buying their produce at the grocery store and wondering if it's really good for them. Lettuce Grow is here to help with a hydroponic garden that can help you easily grow fruits and veggies. No green thumb is required. I can attest to this. You've seen Lettuce Grow farm stands all over social media. It's a self-watering, self-fertilizing hydroponic unit that allows you to grow your own farm fresh produce at home. Over 200 varieties of fruits and veggies, including edible flowers, tomatoes, strawberries, and even eggplant. With only five minutes of maintenance each week, it can grow up to 36 plants at one time. You get pre-grown seedlings that are non-GMO, never exposed to harmful chemicals or additives, and ready to harvest in just four to six weeks. It uses 95% less water than traditional gardening, and there's no waste. Only four square feet of space is needed, indoor or outdoors. It's made of food-grade, environmentally friendly materials, and for every 10 sold, they donate one to a school or a nonprofit organization. Go to lettucegrow.com beans to shop the farm stand, and be sure to use promo code BEANS at checkout for $50 off the farm stand. There's a 90-day guarantee. There's a less than 1% return rate. Everyone loves their farm stand. That's $50 off the farm stand at Lettuce Grow, L-E-T-T-U-C-E, grow.com slash beans. And thanks to Lettuce Grow for sponsoring the show. Today's show is also brought to you by Scribd. When it comes to finding new entertainment, I am a big browser. I constantly struggle to pick out my next book or audiobook or magazine or podcast. There's so much content out there. It's infinite almost. I feel like I spend as much time looking for my next book as I do actually reading it. And that's why I'm glad I found Scribd. With Scribd, I get thoughtfully curated editor's picks and smart recommendations based on what I've already read, which makes choosing my next book quicker and easier than ever. With Scribd, you get instant access to millions of all sorts of different stuff, ebooks, audiobooks, court documents, magazines, and more, all with one low monthly subscription. It's the ultimate reading subscription service. It lets you 
Explore all of your interests in any format you choose for just $9.99 a month. I love using their service. I get to discover must-read new work from celebrated authors like Roxane Gay and Charles Yu, who premiered exclusively on Scribd. And when I want to change things up, I'm free to switch between titles and genres and formats anytime on my phone, tablet, or computer, wherever I'm reading. And right now we're offering listeners of this program a free 60-day trial. Go to try.scribd.com slash AG for your free trial. That's try.scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D, dot com slash A-G to get 60 days of Scribd for free. Everybody, welcome back. Happy to be joined today by my friend, host of Justice Matters. Please welcome Glenn Kirshner. Hey, Glenn, how's it going? Hey, G, it's going well. How about with you? I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I feel like we're just all in this holding pattern, and we have been for quite a while. And uh, we're starting to see some judges, uh, and, and not starting. This has kind of been going on, we know, with Chief Justice Beryl Howell having some words about the amount of money that we're having to spend to protect ourselves against another thing like this and how the restitution has been very low. But in some sentencing, some of the judges have been uh, more recently, other judges have been very vocal and vociferous about the the sentencing that, that's being proposed and the restitution that's being proposed by federal prosecutors. For example, we had a judge this week, Amit Mehta, who many people are familiar with throughout having you know been with us and listening for the the past several years had said that that Trump was responsible for the insurrection and i mean we know that but it's kind of big when a judge says it yeah it's big and it's unusual because you know judges will typically saw the legal wood in front of them whatever case they're handling whatever issue is presented in that case they pretty much stick to that but um you know the judges i think see the other crimes that have gone on kind of in the harsh light of day by Trump and his criminal associates, and frankly, how they play into the culpability of what Judge Mehta calls the pawns, Donald Trump's pawns, his foot soldiers of the insurrection. And Judge Mehta is not wrong in two, in two regards. First of all, I pulled out the Politico article that quotes him because it really was a, a pretty dramatic statement by Judge Mehta when he placed blame for the January 6th Capitol attack squarely on Donald Trump. And he said to the defendant, whose name was last name was Lolos, L-O-L-O-S, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. He said, look, you didn't purposely come to Washington, D.C. to storm the Capitol. You know, the fact remains that you and others were called to Washington, D.C. by an elected official, prompted to walk to the Capitol by an elected official. You were told lies. You were told falsehoods. You were told your, our election was stolen, and it clearly wasn't. In a sense, Mr. Lolos, I think you were a pawn, a pawn in a game directed and played by people who should know better. In other words, Donald Trump. That is a really unusual thing for a judge to do. Talk about the criminal culpability of others who are not directly before the court. However, you know, I've been talking about this for a while, AG, and I know you have as well. Donald Trump, in a very real sense, is responsible for what the insurrectionists did. He told them to do it. He directed them. And that does factor into their culpability. It doesn't give them a legal defense to the crimes they committed, but it does impact um, how punishment worthy they are. Do they deserve 41 months in prison like that foolish QAnon shaman Jacob Chansley just got? Or do they deserve probation or somewhere in between? Um, and when 
you realize that these people, many of them acted on what they believed was the command by the president of the United States. And they were told that they should act because their vote had been stolen, their election had been stolen, their president was being stolen from them. And if they don't fight like hell, they won't have a country anymore. People who are not thinking people might listen to that and say, I have to do what's right, what my president just told me to do. That absolutely impacts the, the sentencing in the insurrection cases. And it will also impact the trials once these cases start to go to trial. And that leaves me very concerned. Yeah. And and, and talking about Chansley, uh, who got 41 months, I think that's 10 months fewer than, than the prosecution had recommended. But uh, I guess he did early on cooperate, pled guilty to obstructing Congress, right? And I think that that also plays in, and you and I have talked about this before you on Justice Matters and, and us together, that that also goes toward building a case of culpability to the president, right? It was like, oh, they're going to, okay, he's going to plead guilty to obstructing Congress. That insinuates or infers that whoever led this obstructed Congress, do you, do you, right? Am I, do I have that right? You have that absolutely right. All of these pleas are building blocks in a case that must be brought against Donald Trump for seditious conspiracy, for inciting an insurrection and rebellion. And I maintain, you know, I've tried cases that were a lot harder to prove than it would be to prove Donald Trump incited an insurrection. Yeah. And the fact that these are building blocks and seemingly deliberate building blocks, along with a few other clues, still leads me to believe that this will be prosecuted at the highest levels. I know that a lot of people are losing and have lost faith. And I want to talk more about that with you, but I have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? I will. Thanks. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG and this Helping the Beans is brought to you by AG, Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition simple. Stress, poor sleep, hectic schedules, uh, that make it difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits. You know, I eat intermittently and I'm paleo, so I have huge gaps in my in my nutrition. And it makes it hard for me to provide my body with the nutrients it needs. Uh, but AG1 by Athletic Greens is a category-leading su- uh, superfood product that brings comprehensive and convenient daily nutrition to everyone. Just one tasty scoop of AG1 has 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, a multimineral, probiotics, a greens superfood blend, and more in one convenient serving. This special blend of high-quality bioavailable ingredients and a scoop of AG1 work together to fill those gaps in your diet, and they support energy and focus, aid with gut health and digestion, and support a healthy immune system, effectively replacing multiple products and pills with one healthy, delicious drink. It's lifestyle-friendly, too, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and it has less than one gram of sugar and no GMOs and no chemicals or artificial anything. And they keep it tasting good, too. My favorite thing about it is that as the research changes, so does AG1. While most nutritional products that come on the market never evolve, Athletic Greens continues to obsessively improve AG1 based on the latest research. They've had 53 improvements over the last decade so far. So I highly recommend you give it a try. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D, which is so important for the winter, and five free travel packs with your first purchase. If you visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans today. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take control of your health and give AG1 a try. And today's show is also about your health. It's about QB. Think about how many hours we spend at our desks or on the couch watching TV. What if you could turn those otherwise inactive times into opportunities to burn calories and get fit? 
That is exactly what I did for my mom. I got her a Cubie. That's C-U-B-I-I. It's compact. It's, a, it's, it's an elliptical unit that fits under her desk so she can pedal while she gets a workout, while she's just sitting there reading her emails or watching television or listening to my podcast because my mom's and she loves me. She says I'm awesome. In fact, uh, she uses she's probably using it right now, listening to this commercial. Hi, mom. Are you using your QB? Uh, first of all, it's whisper quiet. It's super easy on your joints. It's low impact. And a recent clinical study shows it helps burn 84% more energy than just sitting there. We all say I'd like to work out more if I had more time. Well, QB makes it easy to burn calories and stay active anytime, virtually anywhere. In fact, you can set your QB up in front of the couch. Um, and so, well, you know, while my mom's watching Matto, she can she can do it. And it's also perfect for anyone who might be housebound or otherwise needs needs some help, you know, help improving their circulation and keeping active. So if you have a parent or a loved one like I do who has limited mobility and needs a way to stay healthy, QB would be the perfect gift this holiday season. I love my QB. I know you will, too. Take advantage of QB's 30-day risk-free in-home trial. Risk-free. Turn your least active times into your most productive opportunities to stay healthy with QB. Visit QB.com slash beans to find the QB elliptical model that's right for you. That's QB, C-U-B-I-I dot com slash beans. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking with the host of Justice Matters, Mr. Glenn Kirshner, former federal prosecutor out of the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office. And uh, despite months and months of stonewalling by Republicans in the Senate, we now have a D.C. U.S. Attorney. And it was a week after that D.C. U.S. Attorney took his place that we saw the Bannon indictment. And it made me think, because we were positing prior to that happening, maybe they're going to wait for the guy to get there. Maybe they're waiting for the guy to get there. And then, of course, we got the new the new guy, uh, Damian Williams, in the, the Southern District of New York. And then we saw some indictments coming out, particularly the two Iranians who posed as proud boys in, in what Trump and Rick Grinnell called an effort to help Joe Biden. But <laughs> we all know that that's not the case. So... It seems to me with that, things things are moving along. It seems to me that since I mentioned before the break, the building blocks seem deliberate to charge the higher ups and those who incited the riot. And you pair that with, you know, some of the information that we're getting out of the January 6th committee to people who have been cooperating in that investigation. Most recently, that Amy Kramer was in direct communications with the White House in that new Rolling Stone piece. And they're speaking on the condition of anonymity because of ongoing investigations, plural, and there's only one congressional investigation, leads me to believe these are just more clues that they are or will or do intend to go after the leaders. They're just building a very slow and methodical, perhaps to our detriment, the slowness and methodicalness of it, but a very slow and methodical case because it, it's a it's a can't lose case. And if public safety weren't at risk, A.G., if democracy weren't hanging on by a thread, I would be fine with the Department of Justice taking all the time it needs to perfect its case, build the most beautiful, you know, the, the, the case that is as bulletproof as you could make it. God bless you, because we all know federal prosecutors are scared to death of losing a case. They don't want the embarrassment, you know, oh, the humanity. I lost cases. I brought tough cases. I won some, I lost some. But every one I brought, I brought because it was righteous. I brought because I was trying to vindicate the rights of the victim and trying to protect the community. So I appreciate DOJ. Look, it's unprecedented, right? Going after a former president who committed buku crimes Buku is a legal term against the United States, <laughs> right? Um, 
But at some point, you have to say, because Donald Trump remains out there and the Republicans remain behind him, and he continues to try to undermine, if not end, our democracy, public safety is at risk and you have to move out. Once you have probable cause to arrest, you need to be assessing every single day whether it's time to make the arrest or is it time to continue to perfect your case in the grand jury? Listen, I maintain it was time to make the arrest on January 21st based on volume two of the Mueller report and all of the obstruction of justice crimes Donald Trump committed. That's when he should have been arrested, but he wasn't. But like you, I take faith in all of the building blocks that we see. I still believe the Department of Justice will indict Donald Trump. You know, you have three jurisdictions right now that um, it's hard to predict where the first indictment might drop. You have New York, you have Georgia, and you have the federal government. Unfortunately, nobody looks at this like a tortoise and a hare. They're looking at these three jurisdictions like the tortoise and the snail and the sloth. I mean, who is going to move out first and and hold Trump accountable? Yeah, and and that's sort of why I brought up the fact that the the D.C. U.S. attorney got there November 5th. Southern District of New York U.S. attorney got there October 10th and very new. Right. But and that doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have to wait for new. Generally, they don't wait for new U.S. attorneys, although maybe they were that was their thinking. Garland got there in March. They were making the nominations shortly after that. But then we didn't predict or didn't know that Cruz and Holly and and the rest of the seditionists in the Senate were going to put the kibosh on getting getting these guys in, in their positions. But I have seen more indictments coming out of these offices. And as we know, the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office would be the one handling the volume two Mueller report obstruction of justice charges. And the Southern District of New York would be handling if they decided to reopen the Stormy Daniels, Michael Cohen, who, who's a free man as of today case at individual one prosecuting individual one how much harder is it to reopen a case that's been closed because they closed that case southern district of new york in the courts and i know a lot of people are saying we we need to get that done and the statute of limitations in my mind has not expired because those payments were made back to cohen going on into august of 2017 how much harder is it to reopen a case that you've closed than it is to just bring a case like obstruction of justice that would come out of dc u.s attorney's office Legally, it's not hard at all because all it takes is an assessment by uh, new prosecutors eyeballing the evidence and saying, listen, there is unfinished business here. We need to reopen, reinvestigate, and if appropriate, indict. It's hard politically. It shouldn't be hard politically, but the reality is that will inspire all sorts of attacks, you know, with claims of political revenge and retribution and this, you know. But you know, if it's the right thing to do, it's the right thing to do. Let the attacks come. So legally speaking, it's easy to reopen and give a relook to cases that were previously closed. We did it all the time in our murder practice in D.C. We had cases that were closed out for lack of evidence. Then guess what? I get a call from somebody in the Bureau of Prisons. Hey, Mr. Kirshner, uh, I'd like a sentence reduction. I can close a couple of murders for you. Bring them on in on, on a writ, reopen those cases, and let's get rolling. So it's not hard to do legally. It can be a challenge politically. Now, isn't it true that sometimes prosecutors across offices or within an office will say, we're not going to prosecute on that 
it's a little harder to get intent on that. We're going to prosecute on this. I'm thinking the Manafort tax crimes, right? Like we've got enough for, you know, defraud the United States conspiracy against the United States when he handed off of that polling information to Konstantin Kalimnik. But we're going to go for the tax stuff. It's just so much easier. Open and shut case. What I'm wondering is if you've got these three cases, obstruction of justice, Mueller, volume two, Stormy Daniels in the Southern District of New York, and then insurrection in the Department of Justice. How do you weigh? Because to me, it seems like the easiest of all is the obstruction of justice stuff. But then how do you weigh the importance of bringing insurrection charges or, you know, like what might those discussions look like? Like, we're not going to do the insurrection for Trump. We'll do it for the DOJ guys and Southern District. Don't worry about the Stormy Daniels thing because we're going to go with obstruction in the D.C. U.S. attorney's office. It's the easiest case. Or is everyone just like prosecute it all? Because you and I have talked about this a lot. It's that the accountability of the insurrection is just as important as following the rule of law. So to me, it would be like, I think that getting him, though you say you've prosecuted on less, it's probably a more difficult case to get him on incitement of the insurrection than it would be to get him on the obstruction of justice charges in volume two of the Mueller report. But it might be more important. Do they weigh that? Absolutely. Great question. Because I think at the end of the day, an attempt by a president to unlawfully, unconstitutionally retain power and essentially overthrow our democracy and negate a free and fair election, that has to be prosecuted. Because if it's not, if it's not, Donald Trump will stand up every day and say, everything I did was not only lawful and appropriate, but the Department of Justice has co-signed it. They have given me their stamp of approval by not bringing criminal charges. Because if it was a crime, Goodness knows DOJ would have prosecuted me. So but and then to answer the, the more fundamental question, we have bad guys who commit lots of different kinds of crimes. And we coordinate not only within our office, but with other jurisdictions in a perfect world to say, who's got the strongest case? Who has the greatest likelihood of conviction? Whose victims need to be vindicated? And you try to make some common sense decisions and put your best foot forward with your strongest prosecution. That happens all the time. It does get more complicated when it's the feds and it's New York and it's Georgia. I hope all of those jurisdictions are communicating with one another and coordinating. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, And you did list some of the uh, obvious crimes of Donald Trump, right? The campaign finance violations, the insurrection, the obstruction of justice in volume two. Let's not forget, though, there was still extortion and bribery of President Zelensky. There was still across the board of obstruction of Congress by telling all of his executive branch officials do not comply with lawfully issued congressional subpoenas. No, no, no. I'm not saying invoke a privilege. I'm saying don't comply. That is lawless. That is transparently lawless. Um, there, you know, there was witness tampering of Ambassador Yovanovitch. There is homicide liability for avoidable COVID deaths. I mean, it goes on and on and on. I had a dream last night. This tells you I got to get better dreams. <laughs> and it was literally about the Department of Justice putting all of that one massive indictment against Donald Trump. Where does Donald Trump go with that? I mean, he can scream political revenge all he wants. But those crimes that you and I have been discussing are all sound. 
are all supported by the evidence and could all be indicted. Now, indicting them in one indictment is a challenging proposition because there would be motions to sever because they weren't properly included in one indictment. Fine. We can litigate all of that. But, you know, can you imagine if the Department of Justice took the principled position that it's so important to our democracy that we hold a criminal president accountable, that they indicted all of his crimes that were supported by the evidence? I mean, that is sort of what we should expect. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I've said I've posited very uh, optimistically that the obstruction of justice crimes, the, the 2016 crimes and the big lie and covid and the coup and the insurrection are all the same scheme, all the same criminal scheme. Maybe not covid. Maybe that's a separate thing. However, you know, people, why, why don't we have the obstruction of justice charges? I'm like, maybe they're getting rolled up in the entirety of the, the criminal scheme to overthrow the government. I'm not sure. But I had a dream last night, Glenn, that I was attorney general and I was being waylaid and uh, sort of kneecapped by all sorts of different people trying to prevent you from doing things. Kind of almost like a GSA Emily was there making my life really hard. And uh, what ended up happening was we decided, forget the forget the Stormy Daniel stuff. We're going to indict now with the new D.C. U.S. attorney on the obstruction of justice stuff and continue to look into the insurrection as superseding indictments. But we have to do something soon and we can't wait until because that that incitement of the insurrection is going to it's not going to happen soon if it if it happens it's not going to be soon yeah no but it it has to be done and i mean the the closer we get to the 2022 midterms and god forbid the 2024 presidential election the more there is going to be that reluctance that well you know we don't want to upset election apple carts too close in time i mean all of this stuff now, that didn't seem to stop Jim Comey um, <laughs> talking about Hillary's emails endlessly. I mean, when I look back at that, um, because I wanted to believe Jim Comey, it was all born of good intentions. But the more I look back at it, it was just flat out insanity. <laughs> and it proves that you don't let every person decide for themselves what the norms and the rules should be. You stick with the darn norms and the rules and you let the chips fall, because at least then you can say, we stuck by our guns. We acted the way our policies, our procedures, our rules, and our regulations demand we act. Because once you lose that claim and that protection, well, then we are adrift subject to everybody's gut sense of what they should do. And that's what gave us Donald Trump in part. Yeah. And, and a lot of folks are angry that the January 6th committee is is holding these depositions and, and getting all this information behind closed doors over 200 people now. And that's, I'm sure, where the, where these text messages from Amy Kramer came from with the Stockton guy who's friends with his with her daughter, et cetera. And they were texting back and forth leading up to the insurrection. But I think that that is the fact that they're doing all this behind closed doors is a hint that they're trying to preserve future criminal prosecution. And that, again, is, is I'm, I'm glad about that personally, uh, because, you know, as a prosecutor, how difficult it can be to unwind shitty public testimony when you're trying to criminally prosecute someone. Yeah. So uh, that's what I think. I think maybe Garland's waiting for if, if he doesn't already have 
the DOJ inspector general report that started on January 25th, looking into Clark and and that that group of folks Barr even and then waiting for the congressional committee to make their criminal referrals, which I'm, I'm, I hope they will if they haven't already. But I just want to kind of reassure everybody that, yes, we are pushing to win and hold the House in 2022. But in the case that we don't, the January 6th committee can hand these referrals off to the Department of Justice, who will be there for the following two years after that. Yeah. And the Republicans, if they take control in 2022 of the House, frankly, that will only up the ante for the Department of Justice to move out on criminal indictments. But I'm of two minds. If they haven't already. If they haven't already. I'm on uh, of two minds with respect to the behind closed doors aspect of what the select committee is doing. You know, I see it in part as sort of comparable to a grand jury investigation, which is secret. And it's not until the trial that you then out the testimony, you expose it to public view. I am hoping that what they're doing is locking it in, in as pristine a fashion as they can behind closed doors. Then they will show us the highlights by recalling those witnesses and and then put on the show for the American people that the American people need to see mm-hmm. about what went on concerning January 6th. But here is the the flip side of that coin, which is less rosy. And that is when I was prosecuting and I had other organizations interested in getting their hands on my witness, whether for civil suit or something that was going on in city council in D.C., I never, ever, ever wanted anybody touching my witnesses until they were done testifying before the grand jury and that trial if I could help it. So I I am uncomfortable that prosecutors, now I don't know this for a fact, but if prosecutors are not the first ones to present every important witness to a grand jury and lock in that sworn testimony, I get concerned that politicians in the select committee are creating sworn testimony and developing records that might be great for a congressional inquiry, but might be less less great down the road for a prosecution. So that is the continued concern I have. Yeah, same, same these. I'm right, right there with you on that. And yeah, we'll see what happens. But that's that's exactly what they did in the impeachment was they got they deposed him behind closed doors and everybody was like, why? And then they come out with this beautiful all in one case, which I thought was open and shut. And uh, which, you know, I mean, we impeached him twice was just the senators who who didn't. But that was another example of we know that the Senate's not going to convict, but we have to do this because it's the right fucking thing to do for, for this country. We, Absolutely. Have to set, we can't let this precedent slide and, and the DOJ shouldn't let it slide either. Thank you today for talking, talking to me. Tell everybody in case they already don't know where they can find you. Yeah, they can find me over on YouTube, uh, Justice Matters with Glenn Kirshner, daily video every day, seven days a week. Um, they can find me over on Patreon, which is where Team Justice proper meets and we work on you know, democracy projects, grassroots projects. Um, we have a great group of people over on Patreon. That's where people can go and kind of support our all volunteer efforts here. And, you know, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter all day and night trying to answer questions. So put my name in and I'll pop up on some social platform or another. Awesome. Thanks very much, Glenn. It's Glenn with two N's for those unfamiliar. Thank you so much, host of Justice Matters. Appreciate your time today. Thanks, AG. Everybody stick around. We'll be back with the good news. All right, this is AG. We're getting into the rest gay commercials. Let me ask you a question. Are you getting enough? I bet you would love more. I put some beans on it. Well, our sponsor today is Adam and Eve and adamandeve.com wants to give you more with 50% off just about any item plus free shipping on your entire order. You know, for more than 50 years, adamandeve.com has been uh, built. They've built a reputation as a very trusted and reliable adult toy store that takes your pleasure 
and privacy very seriously. When you want to shop erotic toys, Adam and Eve has it all. For men and women, straight or gay, anywhere in between, Adam and Eve has everything you're looking for with an amazing variety of erotic products. So what do you have to do to get your 50% off one item and free shipping? It's not hard. Just go to adamandeve.com, select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy or anything you desire. And just enter offer code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout, and you'll get 50% off almost any item. Go to checkoutadamandeve.com today. Select one item and get 50% off, including free shipping when you order the offer code, when you enter the offer code DAILYBEANS, that's D-A-I-L-Y-B-E-A-N-S, at adamandeve.com. Well, you've heard about supply chain issues and delivery issues every day on the news, so don't wait on your Adam and Eve order. Shop now, shop early, and hurry while supplies last. And also, ladies, the holidays came early, not only for you, but for your man, at Manscaped, the leading men's hygiene brand. Uh, Again, this is AG for the Beans. Our sponsor today is Manscaped. They just launched some new products that your man will actually use, including their all-new ultra-premium body wash and two-in-one shampoo. They make it easy. Two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. It's time to give the man in your life the gift of beautiful skin, hair, and balls this holiday season. Balls are weird. Let's be honest. Go to manscaped.com and use code DAILYBEANS, all one word, for 20% off plus free shipping. Some dudes don't realize they need to manscape. They don't. They don't know that balls that you need, that you just need to, but they, uh, you, you need, here's the gift for the, the perfect gift for the furry dude in your life. Harry jingle balls are a thing of the past with manscaped performance package 4.0. It includes the signature lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer has proprietary advanced skin safe technology. It's also waterproof. So we can use it in the shower. This includes the crop preserver and crop reviver. These names are so great. And the anti-chafing ball deodorant, moisturizer, and toner. You can get a toner now for your balls. Their hygiene bundle also comes with a pair of Manscaped anti-chafing boxers that'll keep the North Pole fresh all day. Tis the season to load up on Manscaped products. So get your man, your dad, your brother, and your friends the best gift of all, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. And you get 20% off and free shipping with the code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at manscaped.com. That's past tense, manscaped.com. 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code DAILYBEANS. Get your man a gift you'll both enjoy. <laughs> the gift of being manscaped. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. And if you have any good news, please send it to us at uh, dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. I want all Halloween photos, all Thanksgiving photos, holiday photos, kids, grandparents, dogs, pets, cats, birds, whatever. Whatever you have, and also what you're thankful for. Love to hear. We're also going to see a little bit later if Dana has any final thoughts. Oh, God, the stress of it. I was just thinking (laughs) about that. And now, damn you, AG. You know what I was also love, if anyone, if if this is okay for me to step forward like this, but if you have any like traditions, Thanksgiving traditions or recipes that your family has always loved, but you would, if anyone else saw them, you would be, they would be horrified, but they're delicious. I would love to know what those are. Yeah. Like things you've just done every year and you figured out they work and your family does them. Even if it's, you know, some people's families, it, they will forever do the canned cranberry sauce. No matter what, how fancy the rest of the dinner is, it's still that, you know, that that sauce, that just a big chunk. Yeah. Like whatever it is that you cannot live without at Thanksgiving. I would love to hear that. Which is the only acceptable cranberry sauce. Uh, it's delicious. It gives you the lines with which to make cuts. I mean, exactly. how do you how do you not know that is the proper... 
canberry sauce. My mother would be horrified, but I agree. <laughs> yeah, and any any other we- interesting or weird traditions that you have, would love to hear about it. My friends, uh, I've got a good group of friends that do Thanksgiving on Wednesday with, you know, just friends. I love that. For people who are traveling or, you know, because back in the day, comedians were on the road a lot, so. <laughs> True. Yeah, back before that global pandemic, we used to be gone a lot during the holidays. Yeah, it would be just whoever was sort of in town. And, you know, truth be told, a lot of industry folks and and comedians and performers are on the road during the holidays. So interesting traditions come up. All right. I'm going to start with the first two here. And the first one's from Evan, pronouns he and him, thankful. AG and Dana, I discovered the beans a few months ago. And Jesus, do you guys get it right? Huh. You model the appropriate anger, but also self-care with all the nuggets of joy from you and your subscribers. It's been a shit few years for me with aging family depression and all kinds of health issues and this orange shit weasel is a cherry on top of the shit (laughs) sundae (laughs) i feel more grounded though after every episode thank you you're welcome evan thank you for the kind words and from anonymous pronouns he and him we finally decided to get our hardwood floors redone by professionals oh good thank you i'm thankful for the easy to work with folks who are doing the work and i'm thankful we have a patch of grass in the backyard just big enough to pitch a tent on for the next few days this should be fun i'm sure the cats will like it better than a hotel oh my god this is brilliant though they're camping in their backyard while their floors are getting done awesome i mean i love that what an adventure awesome we used to camp in our backyard in a tent and the floors weren't even getting done we were just like hey do you want to sleep out back and so we go sleep out back all right this is from darcy pronoun she and her good morning ag and the rest i have shit kids saved for you now the reason it's Recently, even more hilarious requires being aware of the satirical birds aren't real conspiracy. Now, if you aren't aware, there's the website, which is birdsaren'treal.com. Ever since this started a few years ago, I just about die with laughter every time I see a reference. And this is why. When my oldest daughter was about 14, she was in a car with me while we were in the school pickup line to get her brother. It was a lovely spring day, we had the windows rolled down, and a robin landed next to the car and kind of tilted its head and looked up at me. Now, being me, I said, hi, robin, welcome back, or something similarly embarrassing to a 14-year-old. Now my daughter rolled her eyes in that way that only a 14-year-old girls can do and said, nice, mom, in that sarcastic voice that only 14-year-old girls (laughs) have when their mother is terribly uncool and must be informed of her uncoolness. In response, I said, what? You talk to birds, too. I got another eye roll, and she retorted immediately with, nah, because I know that birds aren't real. (laughs) I laughed so hard I cried, and it's because a classic tell-everyone-new-boyfriend story. But now it's even better. I included pictures of our year-old puppy Pepper, who is a boxer-healer mix. Her snoot is quite (laughs) boopable, as you can see. (laughs) Thanks for all you do. It definitely keeps me from screaming into the Twitter void as much. Oh, I get it. It's a she. It's a classic. Tell every new boyfriend story. So, yeah. Okay. So every new boyfriend she has, I talk about the birds aren't real, Excellent. and that is a boopable nose. Look at the last picture. Boop. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And what a beautiful. Where is that? Does it say? No, it's pretty though. It's beautiful. Pepper, pepper boxer. Thank you for that. That's amazing. And next up from Jeff, pronouns he and him. Dear Beans Queens, a few years ago, I left a career in New York City and returned to my childhood home of rats-ass Texas. Both my parents were in the early stages of dementia, and I wanted to do what I could to make their final years safe and comfortable. That's wonderful. 
As if watching my mother and father slip away into childish oblivion wasn't heartbreaking enough, my country lost its mind and awarded the presidency to an aging Lothario with a dorky comb-over and orange clown makeup who stood on stages and rambled about toilets, cancer-causing windmills, and super-duper hydrosonic missiles. In short, a president with all the gravitas of Porky Pig. Two things in particular helped me endure the loss of my parents and the reign of Captain Comover. First, listening to the podcasts like yours gave me a sense of community during a difficult and lonely time. Second, I adopted a rescue kitty named Murtaugh, who has made me laugh and gave me companionship through some dark years. Having spent so many lovely mornings with him in my lap while I sipped coffee and listened to your show, the least I could do was send you a few photos. As you can see, in addition to being a great lap cat, Murtaugh is something of a box freak. During the lockdown, I ordered a lot from Amazon, so little doofus was in box heaven. I hope you enjoy these pics of my BFF. I hope you accept my sincere thanks for sharing day after day your intelligent take on current events and for steadfastly fighting the good fight. What a beautiful submission, too. Jeff, thank you for that. And well, the I think sweet Murtaugh, Murtaugh, Murtaugh. Oh. Does love a good box. Oh. I mean, trust me, I get it. I get it, Kitty. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a man face, though. Yep. Just saying. All right. Well, it's a man face in a box. All right. This is from Aaron from Tennessee. Pronounce he and him. Hi, beanies. Listener since the near beginning, episode three of MSW was my first. My good news. Also a thank you, but hold tight. With Thanksgiving coming up, a lot of people will be seeing family for the first time in a long time, and with whom we disagree with politically, including myself. While I love my parents and their many siblings dearly, there are a few things in politics we agree on. For background, my mother and 12 siblings were raised Catholic and very Republican. My father and his five siblings are American-born, but he spent his infancy in France and the rest of his adolescent life in the USSR until he was 16 during what is now called the Russian Era of Stagnation the early 1970s. As a result of his upbringing, my father in particular has a distaste and distrust of anything that even remotely resembles socialism. He is somewhere between Tea Party and Libertarian, although he also buys into a few QAnon conspiracies. To make matters worse, he's what I call a master debater. He always seems to have studies and statistics that support his arguments on hand and at any given moment, whereas I always have to search the internet for where I got my information in order to support my side of any debate. Even when I know I'm right, he wins the argument. However, due to continued listening of your podcast, I've begun to not only win some arguments, but I've been Mm. able to find common ground on certain topics and even sway them to my side on others. Congressional stock trading limitations, pharmaceutical price gouging, and the importance of public transit are a few of the issues we agree on at long last. Mm. In addition, my mother in particular has come around on several social issues, including LGBTQ plus rights, criminal justice, and climate. It took three glasses of Merlot for her to admit to me that she voted Democratic in the last two presidential elections, (laughs) not on political grounds, but moral ones. After Mm. 20 years, I finally felt comfortable coming out to her as bisexual, Mm. and she accepted and respected every ounce of it. Now, as for my father, he has a long way to go but has admitted that some of the people in the former guy's circle and old cabinet are wackadoos and feels like there are a few financial crimes that may have occurred near his presence. Mm. My little sister has remained apolitical this entire time, but knowing her, she would have been a Sanders or Warren supporter if she had been old enough to vote. Now, my parents and I still disagree on many things, and there are still very much Republicans, but progress is progress, and I cherish little victories. I couldn't have done it without you, your guests, and your team keeping me in the know and prepared these past few years. 
For pod pet tags, I'm attaching two pictures of my cat, Simi, short for Simeon. Or I guess that's Simi, short for Simeon. I found her at one week old. uh, Yeah, stranded and starving while I was working in the Sequoia National Forest in the summer of 2020. Probably abandoned by a breeder. She's the sweetest and cuddliest and the epitome of chaotic good. And look how sweet. What a beautiful baby. (laughs) The second photo. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Kind of derpy. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Aaron, I love this entire submission. This is, I mean, it just gives me hope. Like you can start to have conversations. People can change. Even after years of indoctrination with certain ideologies, it, it can happen. I, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. And, and for those of you listening, if you know this is, you're going home for the holiday and it's just going to be a shit show, put a child lock on Fox News just while you're there. Maybe don't take it off before you leave. And maybe they can't turn it on while you're having Thanksgiving dinner. I should have saved that for my final thoughts. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe next time. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yeah. Tune in tomorrow. Yeah. We we used used to do this thing, Dana, uh, with the old Muller she wrote where we would have, if you're going home for Thanksgiving, grab your parents and aunts and uncles and, uh, you know, cousins, get their, get their, uh, phone, get their cell phone or their tablets and go on and subscribe to, uh, to Muller. She wrote and, and the daily beans Brilliant. clean up on aisle 45. It helps our subscription numbers. It helps us, you know, it helps with charting so we can out chart Hannity and, and the like and get the fascists off the list. But it also is just great where the shit will just pop up on their phone. Like, totally. Oh, episode, <laughs> episode of the Daily Beans. Oh, this must be something I like. And then, ha ha, democracy. Uh, all right. Uh, no, no final thoughts then? Well, not anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Join us tomorrow to see if Dana has any final thoughts. Until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.